future of law. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you kindly for joining us tonight. My name is Charles Liu. I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Jana Banami. What up, Jana? Hey, hey, how you doing? I'm good. And you're listening to The Future Of. The Future Of was inspired by the television show, The Man Who Built America. Every week, we will discuss topical issues in law, business, and society and how they're related and interrelated to advancements in technology, applications, and automation. What's going on, Jay? I'm ready for this. I'm so excited about our guest today. I am too. First female guest and super badass, if I can say that. Should we jump in? Yeah. All right. Without further ado, I want to introduce Laura Wasser, a.k.a. Law. <laughs> Hi, Laura. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Laura is a world-renowned family lawyer, divorce lawyer, author of multiple books, including It Doesn't Have to Be That Way, How Divorce Without Destroying Your Family or Bankrupting Yourself, and most recently, founder of the application It's Over Easy. That's me. Busy. <laughs> yes, very busy. I'm well, also a mom. And a mom to two kids. Yes. Two sons. Yes. How old? 13, almost 14, and nine. My mom had three sons. So she was busy too. Bless her. Yeah. <laughs> three, three maniacal sons. Two maniacal and one mm-hmm. calm. My mom thought that she was going to have a second son with me because I kicked in right. her womb. She thought I was going to be a soccer player and a boy. And then here I am, just total tomboy, but don't look like it, I guess. No, you don't. No. No. So, Laura, talk to us. You're obviously a, a very, very well-known lawyer, and we'll get into that, but talk to us about your first job. I mean, my first real job probably was working as, like, the Xerox or copy girl at my dad's firm, which is kind of ironic because that's where I ended up. My first adult job, I was a certified aerobic instructor. I couldn't wait no for her way. to share this with you, Charlie. <laughs> this is so good. Look at her. Okay, she's, for those of you who don't know what she's Laura She's 300 pounds. Like, no. <laughs> Um, no, she's this petite little thing, gorgeous. Uh, I don't Thank even know you. how you find the time to hit the gym, but I can tell you do. I hit the gym, but I also live in pretty much a constant state of panic, and that really keeps the <laughs> metabolism going. So that, that, that does help. But yeah, we were like, you know, I grew up here in Southern California, and so we were like little bodies, and we took the training program. And then when I moved to New York to go to my first two years of college, I wanted a job. So I was working at two different aerobic places, and that's kind of how I supplemented the allowance I was getting from my folks during college. Okay, so we kind of chatted a little bit before and got to know each other, and you told me something that I know is going to shock Charlie, and I just can't wait for you to share that with him. Your next job. Was that the working in the door of a club? Yes. That one? Oh, no. <laughs> I, that, I knew we hit it off. Yes. I knew we yeah, had something I, in common. It, that's why I didn't want to tell you till we oh, got on the so show good. because yes. of your background. And actually, why don't you share with the listeners? My start was executive protection and running nightclub doors. The first one in Los Angeles was Las Palmas, right. which you probably remember. Of course. It. Yeah. That was chaotic scene. And then it went from there to many others, including... Key Club, Garden of Eden, Farfalla, I don't, a lot. Pretty much all of the crazy hotspots yes. mm. could be found at the door, I not w- letting people in. I went to all of those places. You probably didn't let me in. I'm once. sure you got <laughs> in. I, I'm feeling Laura got in. I, I wasn't doing the security part. I, they just wanted like a pretty girl at the door taking the money. So that was me. And I had a lot of fun in New York and not as much in LA, but in New York. Oh, that's so good. funny. That's good. a very powerful position. Oh, yeah. yes. yes. I befriended you yes. at multiple clubs <laughs> yes. when I was underage. <laughs> Copying at your father's law office. So law was in the family. Yes, my dad is and was a family law attorney. I was conceived the night that my dad found out that he passed the bar exam, which is why my initials are law. Laura wow. Allison Wasser. No I know, way. so geeky, but yes, I've, I've now embraced <laughs> it. <laughs> so you were destined to be a lawyer. I probably was. Like one of these foretold prophetic lawyers. Yes, yes. Wow, that's... That is awesome. <laughs> that is so good. All right. So you then decide in college that you want to be a lawyer or how does that? No, I didn't really think that I would want to grow up and be a lawyer. I probably really fought it. And I traveled a lot during my last years of high school. I did a year in Switzerland and then college, a lot of travel. Um, and I thought I would be some kind of a travel you know, writer or I like fashion a lot. I was really into that. I didn't think I'd end up in law school, but my parents actually put it to me 
we will support you as long as you're in school. And I knew I wasn't going to med school. And so working the doors of clubs and teaching aerobics wasn't exactly setting me up for the (laughs) glamorous lifestyle I hoped to have. So I went to law school. And um, even then, I didn't think I would end up being a family law attorney. But after my second year at Loyola, I got married. And after my third year at Loyola, we were like, we do that for (laughs) so I needed money because we were splitting up I was working before that at the Western Law Center for Disability Rights and I went to to daddy and said listen it's not working out can I come clerk here while I wait for my bar results and he was like yeah but don't get too comfortable so I went and worked for him made some money got my bar results and passed thankfully and after that end of that kind of summer Period. I realized, oh my God, I love this. I want to keep doing it. Family law is a really, really interesting field because you get to know people really well, um, really intimately in a very short period of time, much faster than you ever would just becoming friendly with them in most cases. You hear all of their most intimate secrets and sexual peccadilloes mm-hmm. and, and, and you get to also watch human nature at work as they're going through a very, very difficult time in their lives. And so, and you also learn a lot about their professions, whether you're, whether they're movie directors, screenwriters, entertainers, professional athletes, bankers, um, you learn what that job entails. And then after, hopefully, if you do your job well, six to 12 to 18 months, you're done. And when you run into those people again in town at a restaurant or whatever, they kind of smile, but just wave from across the room because <laughs> you represent what is one of the probably most miserable times in their lives. They remember you fondly, but they don't necessarily like want to hang. So it, it was really interesting. I really liked it right away. And I asked if I could stay and he spoke with the partners and I stayed on there. And now it's been about 25 years. I'm the managing partner at the firm and um, I, I've never really looked back. Wow. wow. What a great story. So good. How many lawyers at the firm? 20. Wow. Yeah. We really, really grew um, a lot since I kind of grew into being an equity partner there because I really wanted there to be a succession plan. My dad's 76 now. I was his succession plan. I had kids later, so nobody's even in high school yet to start (laughs) being the succession plan. So we've hired a lot of younger attorneys really are a mentoring teaching firm and um, we're growing and we like it which also enables us to take kind of some of the smaller mid-level cases as opposed to just the really really high net worth high profile people we have some more normal people too and that's an interesting learning experience for our younger attorneys was the growth of the law firm intention of yours or was that natural progression because you had so much business you had to react and grow to Accommodate it. I think it was that now that you mentioned. I would have said it was an intention, but I don't know that it was an intention. It just was we had a lot of people that we were turning away. We had a lot of young attorneys coming to say, could we come work here? And I wanted to give some of those people a chance. And we talked about this last week with uh, Brian Kamatek, you know, and just the attorneys coming out and the challenges that new attorneys face. So, yeah, it's great to be able to provide job, meaningful jobs for these ladies and gentlemen coming right. out. And, and training for them and showing them. One of my key reasons for doing what I do, both as a private practitioner and as, as part of the, the startup, is really showing people how to problem solve, showing people that particularly clients, conflict equals attorney's fees. And if you can remove the conflict, if you can solve things on your own, then you don't have as many attorney fees. And more than just the financial part of it, particularly in family law, when you're dealing with somebody that you generally have kids with, you got to figure out a way to get along with them. Because unlike a fender bender or a landlord tenant, you're going to see this person again. So you better figure out a way of co-parenting and getting along and not burning bridges. And I really want to encourage attorneys um, to be the kind of problem solvers that can get people to the next chapter in their lives as opposed to the kind of people who are just churning and making more money off of somebody else's unfortunate situation. Mm-hmm. So, Laura, in case you don't know, but everybody knows, and I think you know now, um, has this reputation in the industry as um, uh, a tough opponent. Let's oh, just, okay. Yeah, let's just well, put I it love that, that in a yeah. woman. I <laughs> yeah. mean, I respect it. Yeah, yeah. well, there, there's, yeah, certainly. It, and it, it transcends that reputation. So one of the stories I heard years ago before I even had the opportunity to meet Laura, and, and I'm curious about the truth to this. So I heard this story of a, a very high-profile individual, high-net-worth individual who, upon getting married, actually retained Laura 
with no divorce imminent, nothing, literally upon getting married, (laughs) so that their partner couldn't subsequently retain Laura in the result of a divorce. So is that true? I I don't know. It might be. I mean, I have had definitely, we have a rule where I don't really represent any of our friends and I don't represent most of the time parents of kids that are in class with my kids because that's kind of uncomfortable. Um, But I definitely have had people in like business situations call and say, so just so it's clear, if, if one of us gets divorced, I'm retaining you. And I'm sure there have been some people, I think, I think if the person you're talking about, I had already represented him in another matter. So he didn't have to retain me. There would have been a conflict if I had ever tried to represent his spouse. But yes, people always say like, just so we're clear, you're, you're mine, right? And I'm like, yes, I'm yours. I'm here. That's so flattering, especially when it's the man that's wanting to retain you too. Yes. You know, it's it's a male-dominated industry, right? Yes, and actually it's very, what's the most flattering is when I've done a divorce for somebody and their spouse, the opposing party, calls me to do another divorce for them or one of their friends. That's wow. when I know that I've done a good wow. job, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a good recommendation. Yes. Wow, so there was truth to that urban myth. Maybe, maybe <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> One of the things you like to ask people is, was there one particular case? And I know with um, discretionary, uh, you, certain things you can't get into, so we don't need names or anything. But was there one particular case or one instance that uh, made you realize or come more to the realization that you were exactly where you needed to be, where your heart wanted to be, that you were serving a, a greater purpose by practicing family and divorce law? I don't know that there was one, but I will say that there was kind of a period probably in around 2007 where I was representing a few different um, kind of high profile young celebrities and there were custody issues. And because we were able to navigate those custody issues without having to have long drawn out trials, without having to have evaluations where the kids are kind of brought into it, like I said, there was a cluster of them. We resolved all of them. Looking back at them now and seeing how well adjusted those kids are, whatever it is, 10, 10, 15 years later, I know that I was in the right place. And again, although I may have this reputation of being like a pit bull or it's only when I I've, didn't say pit bull. <laughs> no. <laughs> I thought it, but I didn't say it. I wouldn't mind that title. What's wrong with me? <laughs> I, I don't mind it. It's just always interesting to me because I mean, obviously I don't see myself that way, but my colleagues say, Where did that come from? And I said, I have no idea. I'm super settlement oriented. But I can imagine if I've worked really hard to try to get something resolved and either the other lawyer or the other lawyer's client is just being so stubborn and difficult. Like, I do like going to court, and I do like to win. So if we've really exhausted every possibility, and I really do feel like the opposition has been kind of lame, yeah, I mean, I can be a little bit, because I want to get it done. So if I can't get it done on my own, I'm going to take it to the courts, and I'm going to let a neutral judicial officer Declare victory for me. <laughs> it's, that. it's that simple. It's not that they'll make a decision. It's just that they'll declare victory. The end is imminent and not up to discussion. I love it. Yeah. I Actually, Charlie, before you got here, one of the folks here at Dash Radio stopped Laura to take a photo with her. Like She recognized her. So funny. She's like, she's because, badass. But again, only because, <laughs> let's not get carried away, only because she practices in the field. And in the field, yes, there's people who know who I am, hopefully outside of that not so many guys if you're just tuning in you're on with charles Liu and jenna benemy on the future of here with laura wasser discussing divorce law check us out on linkedin twitter and facebook for the guest lineup and submit your questions for a chance to have them answered on the show we air every tuesday at 8 p.m pacific standard time and re-air every sunday at 7 p.m pacific standard time on dash talk x check us out at the and click the radio tab to listen now So, Laura, since we're certainly a technology-oriented show, let's talk about It's Over Easy. Okay. So I was really excited when you guys reached out to me because I do believe that the future of law in many, many ways is legal tech. I think it's going to eat the world. And it's such a great dovetail for what I've kind of been talking about for 20-some-odd years in family law, which is if you can work things out yourself, and you may need the help of a mediator or an app or, or even a retired judge, but if you can work them out yourself, particularly in family law, you are so much better 
positioned to move on in your life. And so what I did, I wrote the book that you mentioned, um, It Doesn't Have to Be That Way, in 2013. And it had really, really great reaction from people going, thanks, I read your book. That made so much sense. I'm so glad I read it before I got divorced. The next step was how do we create a platform online that does three things. One, the obviously, the obvious. People can go online. We will help them fill out the forms that they need to get divorced and guide them through it. We, we're not lawyers. We don't provide legal advice. But these forms are, the legislature has made them so that it should be easy enough to get divorced and do it on your own. So that's part one. And people who are not living in the same state anymore, people who are incarcerated, people who are in the military can use this and do it without having to go to court. But the other two sides of it are we've got huge content so people can educate themselves about divorce, about paternity actions, about co-parenting, about their finances. And then we have a resource provider on the other end, which is the index. Because I realized after practicing family law for 25 years, once you're done, you still need somebody to help you find a new apartment. You need mm-hmm. somebody to help you balance your budget. You need somebody to help you find childcare. You need somebody to help you get out there and start dating again, maybe lose some weight, maybe get your teeth whitened. All of those things we have on our index so that as people go through this process, they can come to a support provider, we refer them, and they take it from there with them. Because I really, I've done that so many times. Okay, now you're done. Let me help you find a nanny. Okay, now you're done. Let me help you get back into shape. I mean, not me. I'm teaching aerobics still. Um, but Wait, you're still teaching? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, it's like, wow. I'm like, she looks like it, right? Amazing, no, I'm not. But I really like to help people. You know, it doesn't just end. And I can't bill people to like, you know, refer them them to a spray tan person, but I want to be able to help them enter that next chapter. So the whole umbrella, we want to be a full divorce resource. We call it the evolution of dissolution. We have a lot of um, help and referrals to you know, therapists and, and mental health care professionals that can help you because that part of it's the hard part. The legal part of it really should not be the hard part. Right. So the evolution of dissolution. Yes. I love that. That's, yes. that's incredible. So you're obviously very forward thinking with this application because it's non, non-contentious, uh, not adversarial. So is this, would, would you classify this as like an application, like an ADR application, a mediation application? It's a, it's a mediation application. We call it do-it-yourself divorce, mediation. Yes, absolutely. And if parties hit kind of a, a bump in the road, like they, they got everything, but they just can't figure out what the right amount of child support would be, or they've got everything, but one, they both really want Wednesday night every week. Then we will refer them to a mediator. They can go, they can figure that issue out, then they can come back to the site, enter in whatever they've agreed to. So it's not one of these things where if you can't get the whole thing done, it's blown. You've still got that, that product there that you can go back to and, and utilize. Right. And do you have any numerics or statistics yet that you can talk about or that you could share regarding number of people who have participated in this yeah, or so how many successful divorces there's been? We, I don't have that because those, particularly in California, we're only in California, New York, and Nevada right now. Um, we launched January 25th, 2018. So we just had our one year anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Nice. Thank Congrats. you. Yeah. And we have um, in play or completed over 350 divorces. So that's wow. huge, especially like, I mean, that's as a lawyer, huge. I don't get that many done in my law firm per year, that's for sure. But we've processed them. Some of them are still waiting for their judgments to be stamped, but they're all relatively simple judgments. And because I also at times, you know, serve as a judge pro tem and will be down at Los Angeles Superior Court entering judgments, I can see how those get done. Ours generally get done. I don't ever sign any of ours, right. but that would be great. Um, so it's it, it is it's an amazing service the way I see it, and it is so much less expensive than it is to do with a lawyer. I mean, our prices are seven hundred and fifty dollars, fifteen hundred dollars, or two two thousand five hundred dollars. That's the absolute most you'll pay. That's two hours of my time. Right. I mean, so. And how would that compare just on average? I know it's hard to give an average, but how would that compare to the average cost of a divorce? Well, that we did research. The average cost of a divorce in the United States, and again, Southern California is way higher than most places, sure. but is $15,000. Wow. Yeah. So you're talking 5% yeah. of the cost. Yeah, absolutely. It's incredible. And again, there's some legwork. You're going to have to do some legwork if you're doing it on your own. But I got to think it's worth it because the money that you're not spending on lawyers, you've now got for a down payment or first last month's rent or whatever else you need that extra dough for. Wow. 
Now, would you say that you, it's a younger demographic? It's a bit they need younger. Access to the internet. Yes. Is, is it an app or is it a website or both? It's both. I mean, there's you. Can, it is an app, but you probably could not fill out the entire forms. <clears throat> on your phone but we do have messaging if you want to sign up on your app if you want to cruise our content on your app or the index absolutely but at some point you're probably gonna have to sit down in front of at least at least an ipad to enter the information onto some of those divorce forms and is there someone to talk to or is there one of those live chats is it 24 hours how does that work it's 24 hours it's live chat or talking we're still working out the best way to service our users but so far everybody's been pretty happy and been able to get in touch with us again we don't give legal advice but sometimes they'll just have a question of like what field do I enter this in and so we've got people available sometimes it's even me telling them Mm -hmm. you know how it ends up working as for the demographic yeah we thought it was going to skew much younger I mean it can't be too young because how old are you when you're getting married right. you have to be married for at least a little bit maybe just as long as me 14 months <laughs> to get divorced but we're finding that our average demographic is somewhere between like 30 and 45 and mm-hmm. and definitely more people are using it what I said when we first started is people are banking online they're shopping online they're dating online why wouldn't they get divorced online yeah so with as you mentioned there's a live chat essentially mm-hmm. So we're in the process right now of an HR app that we call Litigation Mitigation App, which we're really excited about rolling out. Um, one of the things that our app developer has been discussing with us is when someone calls in or texts in or communicates with us about an um, incident at work that's particularly disturbed them and maybe they're, they're very upset or very emotional or, or you know, God forbid, suicidal or, or something, very just very emotional. Do you have those communications coming to you and how, how do you guys handle those? Not so far. Okay. I mean, definitely there's emotional people and in my practice as well, I have a lot of very high strung emotional people that are calling me at all hours of day and night and I've always really believed that as a service provider, as a, as a family law attorney, you have to be available to them. I mean, again, if I, it's four in the morning and I'm asleep, I can't be. But even on the weekends and now with texting and WhatsApp and all the things, we get back to people right away. That's one of the things I try to teach our younger associates is they need you. They're not expecting you to rush into court for them. They want, they want an objective mind to kind of talk it through with them, somebody who's seen this before and is able to say from the outside in, here's what I think. So we do see that. Um, not as much with the... with it's over easy and again that's because we don't give legal advice there is some hand holding that we do but i also tell my clients as well as the users of it's over easy i'm not a mental health professional so i'm probably not qualified to give you the kind of information or assistance that a mental health professional would and you should absolutely be getting it during this time of your life and there is a huge spectrum of ways to do that whether it's a great therapist at $350 an hour, or it's the hours that some of the students need to be, you know, logging to be getting their credentials, or a support group at your local junior college or at your church or your temple. All of those things are available. Seek them out because you need to be talking through this stuff. Yeah. We spoke last week, um, and we've actually spoken about it at the Loyola Board of Director meetings about access to justice. Do you see this being, because it's seemingly uh, a incredible service for also lower socioeconomic individuals who will now have access to divorces and and a resource to explore it. Is that? 100%. That's why I started it, because I really wanted to make this knowledge available to a a wider group of people. And I'm actually getting the Los Angeles Center for Law and Justice is giving me an award this May for this. So, you know, it's not something that family law attorneys usually think about too much. I just feel like I've been super blessed. And most of throughout most of my career, most of my friends, including myself, could not afford me. So I know what it's like to want to be able to give that kind of information to more people than just the super wealthy. Right. And for, since again we're a technology kind of driven show here, what's the evolution of it's over easy? Is this uh, going to be a brick and mortar locations at some point where people can come in and mediate or sit down with someone? And will this 
you know, grow into uh, television or content creation? Or how, how would you see this expanding? Oh, I hadn't thought about that. And I hadn't thought about a brick and mortar. What, what we are basically focused on right now is rolling out in more states. So we're going to do something that Uber did, which is instead of doing an entire state, we're going to do counties or, or the actual cities. So, for example, we, by the end of February, should be in Miami, Florida, Boston, Mass., Houston, Texas, hopefully Chicago, Illinois, um, and Atlanta, Georgia. And and again, those places come from the most traffic that we get, people coming to read our content or use our index and us going, we're super sorry, we're not in your state yet to get divorced, but we will be. So we've visited the cell. Last Friday, I was in Miami-Dade at the self-help center looking at how they do their forms and everything else. We're expanding our tech. We really want to make it much more easy for the user to use. What we, you know, there's a lot of form providers out there. We're kind of a form provider plus. So when people click on date of separation, most people don't know what that means. So we did like a little, you know, artificial intelligence video, like a YouTube of me and I pop up and I go, hey guys, this is what date of separation is in the state of California. They don't want to read it. They want to just see it, have somebody tell them and they can fill it out. So we're really focusing on expansion and tech right now. I don't think we're going to need a brick and mortar, but if we had that kind of, you know, funds available to us, we absolutely would. I just want to make it so that people are able to access this and use it. And again, change the way people look at divorce because it's such a scary thing. We should be able to make it simpler for them. Wow. I got to ask you, Laura, as a woman in this industry and being the badass that you are, have you ever sort of feared for your life? Have you ever been threatened by, you know, like your client's spouse or even opposing counsel? Or, I, you know, you see this stuff on TV yes. on Lifetime, right? <laughs> lifetime. <laughs> super dramatized. Have you ever been in that position? No, I haven't feared for my life, but I've definitely particularly with women, had a couple of women like come across the table at me and say like, what kind of a mother do you think you are or whatever? And it's very important to kind of keep your cool, know where your ethical compass lies, know what you're doing is, you know, for the benefit of your clients. I'm really lucky that I'm in a situation where if there's a client that I don't really believe what they're asking for makes sense, I generally won't take them. I really want to take clients that are more reasonable, that I can be a voice of reason to. If I have one parent come to me and go, well, I should have the kids 100% of the time because I'm the mom, right? Mm. I'll say, yeah, not so much. And because we represent so many very wealthy and very famous people, they're not used to hearing no. When the law gets involved, you have to, and I don't mean me, <laughs> when the real law gets involved, you have to be able to say no to people because otherwise you're just lying to them and that's not fair either. Right, and then they end up more upset probably when they don't get of the course. expected outcome. Uh, those are the people I should be worried about yes. as my actual clients. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie, so, have you ever been threatened by anyone? I had a deposition where the, the opposing counsel flipped a table that was kind of threatening was yeah. it Teresa Judice <laughs> no no and then I had a really interesting call once where I'd never met the attorney on the other side and he told me over the phone that if he was next to me he would he said if I would sit next to you I would punch you in the face and I said I've looked at your picture on then and now. No, I really did. You'd I said have to get a step still. yeah I, I kind of did I said I'd looked at your picture on the internet and I said I don't think you've done the same thing. I can assure you, you wouldn't punch me in the face. <laughs> and when we resolved the case, he said, oh, by the way, you're probably right. I probably wouldn't have punched you in the face. And I said, yeah, you probably wouldn't have. Yeah, so. well, people don't know this about Charlie, but you're kind of an MMA pro, right? No, not a pro. <laughs> I've, I've trained for a long time and yeah. participated in it and have a lot of respect for it. So studied it for a long time. So He's somewhat. also Note beat some ass. Uh-huh. No, no. no. So now that Jenna's has given you the, the female-oriented question, I have a, a guy-oriented question. Is it hard, does it make it hard to date and subsequently get married being, being law? Because our guys like... <laughs> being, being law. Being law. Because <laughs> our guys just scared. Are they like, this, this is a terrifying kind of thought that subsequently we could get married. And if it doesn't work, I'm just going to be in a bad place. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, look... Here, here, Here's the facts. After that, you know, 25 years old marriage that lasted for 14 months, I never got married again. I had 
my 13-year-old son with one fellow who I was madly in love with and lived with, and we still are amazing co-parents, and then had my younger son with another fellow who we lived with, and we were madly in love and were amazing co-parents. And I'm currently in a relationship that's been about five and a half, six years. I don't think he's too intimidated. I mean, the good thing about it is we all bring our own things to the table, and so there's not quite... You know, what is he going to be scared of? The two guys that I have kids with, I don't think they're scared. I also don't think they'd be running into court to try to do anything horrible. <laughs> but but um, luckily for all of us, we're all pretty reasonable and we all really, really put our kids first. And so, I mean, I don't know how scared they are, but, for, but I think more than anything, people that I've dated, you know, since I graduated from law school say, oh, you make your own money. You're not going to be dependent on me. That's kind of sexy. I like that. You know, let's go. So I haven't had, and I don't know that I, it's not discouraging for me. I don't know that I would get married again anyway. At this age and stage, I'm not having any more kids. I don't know that I love the idea of the state of California being able to say what happens with my income or my assets. Like I said, I'm in a really committed monogamous relationship and that doesn't really come up between us. Right. Do you have people come to you uh, pre-marriage as in a counseling a counseling capacity and say, hey, we're getting ready to get married. And obviously, as, as we understand, it's a very significant contract. Can you explain the ramifications of this to me? Absolutely. I mean, it's it's prenup talk. Right. And what is interesting is how few people say what you just said, Charles. So few people really consider getting married a very significant contract. They they contract for the venue of their wedding and, and the florist and for their dress and the band and the cake and the caterer. Yet none of them really says, wait, now what's this contract I'm about to enter into as I walk down the aisle? People don't think of it that way. And so that leads them to kind of, I mean, I have people that have been married 15, 20 years. They come to me to get divorced and they say, what do you mean I have to split my pension with her? Or what do you mean I don't get the house? I'm the mom. Of course I get the house. I said, why, why would that be the case? You bought the house during your marriage. It's community property. So I do believe that now people are thinking about that more. You know, people always say, oh, God, prenuptial agreements, they're so unromantic. Even if you don't have a prenuptial agreement, please have the conversations that you would be having if you were thinking about having a prenuptial agreement, because you both should know what the terms of this contract are. Right. And this is a question I get a lot, and obviously I have no real concept of the answer, but people often ask me, uh, or they'll say, I didn't get a prenup. I, should I get a post-nup? And I don't, to be honest, I don't even know what it is <laughs> other than the terminology. I know what it ma- means. Um, is, is there such a thing and, and how does it hold up and, and how's, it, how's it applied? So a post-nuptial agreement is basically just a, an agreement that you enter into once you're already married, whether it's the day after or whether it's 15 years in, that again is going to change the terms of the contract. The terms of the contract in California are if you get married without a prenuptial agreement, half of everything that you earn or create, if you are a sculptor and you make a sculpture, it's going to be community property, half and half. Um, There's also spousal support rules and all that kind of stuff. So you get married with that one. Then 10 years in, you go, I really should have one. Now you got to say to your spouse, I want to change the terms of our contract. And he or she may go, yeah, I want a Maserati. I don't know what to tell you. I'm not entering into a post-nup. They do hold up. There's very heavy disclosure requirements. You have to show absolutely everything. And a lot of people find them to be divorce planning. Why mm-hmm. would you be entering into a post-nup which is going to talk about what's going to happen if we get divorced, if we're not getting divorced? So there's a much harder to kind of navigate, but yes, people do them for a variety of reasons. Guys, um, if you're just tuning in, you're on with Charles Liu and Jenna mm-hmm. Benemy on the future of and divorce law with Laura Wasser on Dash Talk X. Add us on Instagram at the Charles Liu and the Jenna Ben. Laura, are you on Insta? I'm on Insta. I am. We have It's Over Easy. Insta, and then we've also got the Laura, not the Laura Wasser official. So look us up on either of them, please. Okay, awesome. We'll add her today. Yeah. Um, on the subject of prenups, would there ever be any type of expansion from it's over easy, which is obviously the the backside or the downside to it, to uh, easy application prenup? Yes, I mean, we've been looking into that. One of the things statutorily that you need in almost every state to make a prenup enforceable is that both parties are represented by counsel. 
So not the same as getting divorced. You can get divorced on your own, but you can't enter into a prenup on your own. So what we've really looked at is how to figure out a way to kind of provide a template for individuals that might want to have a prenuptial agreement. They can negotiate it. They can draft it on their own. And then, again, through the index, refer them to attorneys that at a very low cost will look it over and kind of bless it for them so they can get it done. Our retainer at the firm for a prenuptial agreement is a non-refundable $25,000 retainer. So anything below that that you can do and you can have an attorney look at it and you do it yourself is, I I believe, really, really beneficial to people. Wow. So I have another kind of practical question that's come to me a couple of times. And it's actually a perfect segue to introduce and thank our friends over at Azunia Tequila. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> so, and we're going to get into Laura's tequila story because everybody has a tequila story. Yeah, if, for if sure. You'll share, if you share. <laughs> yes. But another question I get is a lot of times people maybe they partake in too much tequila or they partake in too much of something and, and they get married and then they realize very, very shortly thereafter that this was an alcohol, alcohol-induced mm. decision. Um, and then they seek uh, an immediate dissolution of that marriage. How is there a certain amount of time in California, for example, that you can essentially cancel that contract, that marriage? So that would be an annulment. And I think a lot of people are under the impression that there's like a time limit. An annulment, the grounds for an annulment would be um, if you aren't of age and you got married and you weren't of age, or if you were married to somebody else, so that couldn't be a valid marriage, or if you were not competent to get married. 10, 15 years ago, a lot of judicial officers would go, well, if you were really wasted, you weren't competent. Most of them I'm finding now go, yeah, you partied too hard, you got married, you're not getting an annulment, you're getting divorced. Because an annulment means the marriage never occurred. So if you're married for a certain period of time and you incurred any debt or anything that happened during that time, you're basically nullifying. And so judges aren't real keen on doing that. Also, they want to make people not think that there's such an easy way out. Right. Is it true that if you get married in Vegas because you've had too much tequila Mm. and you partied and you had a great time and then you wake up in the morning and you're like, hey, maybe I don't really want to be with this person, but you live in California, would you go through the divorce process in California? Yeah, it's where you live. It's where you live. And generally it's like some people are bi-coastal if they have kids, which that couple probably wouldn't have time to have kids yet. But (laughs) if they have kids, it's where the kids go to school. It's where you're a resident. That's the jurisdiction you're supposed to be in. Otherwise, lots of people will come to California to get divorced or have paternity matters because we've got the highest spousal support and child support guidelines Mm -hmm. in the state. I mean, in the country. So yeah, this is a great, we have a lot of forum shopping. People that come and live here for six months and then go, oh, I'm California. Now I'm getting divorced. So that's something that we deal with a lot, particularly in some of our athlete athlete cases. Mm. Yeah. How much uh, divorce work do you do outside of the state? And is that something that you can do uh, just for some of our listeners who wouldn't know as a non-barred attorney in another state? Right. So I can't, I'm not licensed to practice anywhere but California. I do consulting work in other states, um, whether it's because there's jurisdictional issues or because sometimes people seek me out and say, God, you seem like you're really good at what you do on an overall you know, basis. Could you come in and consult with us strategically or to talk about some of the ways that we might be able to resolve this? We know you don't practice in the state. We're not going to ask you to make court appearances. It doesn't happen that often, um, and I'm usually interested in doing it because it's usually interesting work, but also because I've got two kids. I don't love to be flying around to you know be other places, but I have done it in the past. Mostly New York. I've done a couple UK cases um, and one in Atlanta. Got it. And then you brought up something that was interesting. I think it's interesting. I think our listeners will um, take a professional athlete, for example, who is uh, residents in another state, but plays for a team here, so has a house here and a car registered here, et cetera, et cetera. Is there... Uh, like a minimum context standard for California to utilize California law, or how how does it work? For- it, it depends on what the action is. If it's a if it's a marriage and a divorce, there and you you know there's no prenup that has a controlling law section. If it's just paternity, that's where we run into tra- problems. Where does the kid live? If the mm. kid's in school, where does the kid go to school? That's the determining factor. But again, there's personal jurisdiction, then there's subject matter jurisdiction. So sometimes we'll have a case where the parties actually lived in Florida that and they had a Florida prenuptial agreement that says it's controlling, but at some point one of the parents moved here with the kids, so we do custody and child support here, but we do the rest of it in Florida. You can break it up like that. Gotcha. Now I have a kind of practical question uh, from a 
the practice. I've worked with some family lawyers on the divorce side um, to evaluate uh, companies. So, mm-hmm. for example, I'd look at one of the individual's LLCs and, and partnership agreements and joint ventures to try to figure out evaluation or, or how involved they were with that particular company. And um, never, obviously, in your seat, but I've seen how contentious it all gets and how kind of ugly it can all get. Have you ever declined to represent someone or withdrawn from representation, not because you didn't believe in the person's uh, case or the merit of their case, but because you didn't like the person or you didn't like the character of the person or you thought they were just trying to essentially screw the other person? Yes, absolutely. I mean, like I said, I'm lucky. I've been able to kind of pick who I represent and I'm happy to say that most of my clients I've really had a very good rapport with, really wanted to get it done. I've had lawyers say to me, oh my God, I had to speak to this guy on the phone for an hour, but I'm billing him for an hour and a half because it felt like two, so stuff like that. I don't have that very often. I really, like most of my clients, I can generally tell in the first meeting whether they're going to be somebody who I can reason with and who will take the advice that we're giving them and kind of use it to their benefit. Yes, it's an emotional time, and yes, there are people that may not act the way you would want them to act. For the most part, yeah, if I didn't like someone, I generally get out. Do you find that people normally contact you before they've had the discussion with their spouse? It depends. It's like 50-50. I mean, a lot of times people will call the office and say, my spouse does not know I'm calling. I want to come in and find out what it would look like if I got divorced. Please do not say anything. Do not say anything. And we are we use complete discretion. Never do. Sometimes they both call us. Oh, so we'll wow. have to figure out. Yeah, <laughs> my, my secretary is very, very good at like, you know, dealing with that kind of situation. Nobody talks to me until I've spoken to her because we need to always make sure that there's no conflict. So we've got a conflict list as to people we've spoken with, to people we've represented and, and who makes sense. So, yes, she feels those calls. So how do you decide between the the husband or the wife? Which case do you take? It depends. I mean, is it like first come first serve? Or? Sometimes it is. I mean, if I know they're both going to be calling, or if maybe one calls but the business manager of the others called, it just depends. I mean, you know, usually it's first come first serve, but sometimes I will kind of have an inkling that the other one might be calling, and so I'll hold back for a second. So sometimes things get a little heated, right, before, uh, or I guess I should say, as the papers have been served. So do you have any advice for our listeners on things they can do to prepare prior to that process, just in case things get contentious? Yes, I would definitely make sure that, I mean, first of all, just to go back to being served, if you both have attorneys, it shouldn't be like somebody popping out of the bushes to serve you like in the movies. The attorney should accept service on your behalf, and that really takes a lot out of it. Um, for I was, was going to say for women, but for women and men, it's very important that you have your own credit cards. Most of the time, conscientious family law attorneys will recommend that spouses not you know turn off or withdraw the credit cards that doesn't make any sense you want to maintain the status quo but there's some people that are just going to go off and do stupid stuff like that it's important you have your own credit card not just one in your spouse's name that's attached to his or her account mm-hmm. have your own credit card i've represented women who were married for 25 years they could go into neiman marcus they could go into any restaurant in the city and have a table immediately but they didn't ever have their own credit card mm-hmm. i mean that's scary and that's yeah. not the way that we should be kind of raising our next generations women are meant have your own credit card establish your own credit and if anything went wrong you would at least have maybe even if it was a five thousand dollar limit that much money available to you if you needed to get an attorney or make sure that your uber account was still working or whatever i would make sure that you are in a situation that you're not ever going to be stranded that doesn't include hiding money or moving money it just includes having what you need again for the for the basic period of time I also, you know, if I was the breadwinner, I would make sure that the books and records really were very transparent because the more money your spouse's attorney or forensic accountant has to spend going through things and figuring it out, the more the more mm-hmm. it costs. Give them everything, make it simple, maybe have an informational meeting with the accountant or business manager or you so you can explain it. I think that's helpful. If you're planning to get divorced, do what you need to do to make it as uncontentious as possible. Maybe speak with a co-parenting therapist a couple times beforehand about what the best custody situation would be. I don't know what the best custody situation is going to be for your kids. You know what the best custody situation is going to be for your kids. And I would say in almost every instance, having kids that spend 
frequent and continuous time with both of their parents is preferable. Even if there's, even if when they're at dad's, they don't brush their teeth or they stay up too late or they have more screen time, they're still having a relationship with their dad. And that's really important for your kids. Sure. You mentioned a breadwinner a couple moments ago. And I think traditionally we would all agree that breadwinner was like a male, a male term traditionally. Not in Laura's case. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm so careful about everything. I, I say <laughs> Um, are you seeing that evolving? Are you seeing? Yes, yes so, yeah. absolutely. In the past 10 years, um, I have several clients. Originally, like I said, it started with some of the celebrities. You know, women in music and in film make a lot of money. But there's also an amazing group of breadwinning bankers and directors and screenwriters and producers and doctors who are the people that make more money in their marriages or maybe even the same amount of money. And it's funny that some of them come and say, wait, what do you mean I have to pay him support? He's the guy. He's been sitting on our couch for five years. He's not even a stay-home dad. I'm coming to you so that I can get this albatross off from around my neck. And you're telling me I'm still going to have to write him a check? Or wait, I have to split all the royalties from every movie that I ever wrote during my marriage with this guy who cheated on me? Really? Mm. How do you answer that? What's good for the goose is good for the gander. I say if we switch the genders, you wouldn't be having this conversation with me. So we can't have it now. Does it bother me too on some level yeah it does but just because we're girls doesn't mean a we shouldn't be making that kind of money and b doesn't mean that we get to skirt our responsibilities as as the payor spouse or parent i have seen judicial officers kind of like it really bothers some of them yeah yeah Yeah. because even my reaction is to cringe a little yeah say this guy's been sitting on the couch and he wants to get paid because my initial reaction would be like go get a damn job yes you know which is you but know, why wouldn't we say that to a woman who's getting right, her nails done and right. having facials and going to lunch? Very interesting. Um, <laughs> what's the evolution of law? Like, where, where are we going? Are we, are, do you see your focus being on it's over easy, uh, more books in the future? Uh, how much of your time is at the law firm and how much do you see continuing to be at the law firm? I love my law firm and I love practicing law and I love being able to not only train our younger associates, but the firm is like a family, all the staff that's there. I mean, I can't imagine really leaving it for good. I have been spending a little bit less time there taking fewer cases because of my focus on it's over easy. I don't know. I'm Unfortunately, rather than spending 50% of the time on each, I'm spending 100% of the time on each. <laughs> so right. I'm kind of tired. Like if I have an extra day in the week, I'd be much better off. Um, I don't know. I'm just going to see where it goes. I'm having a really good time with both, and I'm not really willing to take my foot out of either pool just yet. And how do you, the question I get very often, how do you balance all of that and balance being in a relationship? And you have two children, obviously. How how do you do it? And get the gym and, <laughs> and get your hair done. And, and Teach like, aerobics. Yeah. <laughs> my just, aerobic teaching. Yeah. Um, Maintain like a semblance of a normal life. How do yeah. you? Some days it all just works. And, you know, I keep a very tight calendar. I keep it myself um, because, and my assistant's really great with it, but I have to do it myself so that I kind of know what each day brings. Some days are great. Like I get to the end of the day and I'm like, oh my God, check, 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 check. I did everything I was supposed to do. I did it relatively well. This is good. And then some days are disastrous and it's just like juggling plates and they all fall and you feel like a terrible mom and a terrible partner and a terrible lawyer. And then you get up the next day and you start over again. There's no real I think it's really important that you like what you do, Mm -hmm. that you like being a parent, that you like being a a girlfriend or a boyfriend, and that you like your job. If you don't, you're not going to do it well. But if you really enjoy it and you're getting through doing all of it, then you do it good. And the days that you don't, you kind of give yourself a little slack and you start over again. Charlie, I feel like I'm speaking to the female version of you. Does do any of uh, does any of what she's saying sort of resonate with you about keeping the plates up in the air and oh, then yeah. just nonstop and sort of some days doing all right and others, you know, everything goes to hell, but then yeah. you just pick up where you left off, right? I feel like a train wreck about 50% of the time. <laughs> so 50% of the time the train leaves the station on time and 50% of the time it doesn't even make it into the station to leave. It's And, and I think Laura put it very well. You're just spinning plates. And then when you add things like technology, which was a new addition for me last year, and it's something I knew nothing about. So I had to basically stop 
a lot of what I was doing to go catch myself up on these technology and these applications because I didn't want to sit in meetings with people and just seem completely clueless. I wanted to at least understand the basic terminologies that mm. everybody was corresponding in. So, yeah, you know, some days, some days it works and some it doesn't. Um, actually, speaking of technology, I came across this article on divorce.com that talks about the impact of smartphones on relationships and ultimately divorce. So um, what percentage of relationships would you guys say originate online these days? Laura? Oh, God, I, I don't know. I'd say probably quite a few. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I meet that say I met yeah. my spouse or par partner online. I don't know the percentage, though, but... More than when we were dating, that's for sure. I'm going to let you off the hook because last time Brian Kavitak asked me for a percentage or a number and I said I didn't know. He's like, horrible answer. I'm going to say a lot. I'm going to say like 30, a lot, a 30%. lot percent. Yeah, 30%. <laughs> okay, so according to the article, it's actually 20% oh. and the numbers are rising. But actually the article reports that for the LGBTQ plus community, it's 70%. I, I believe that. Yeah. That, that makes sense to me. So the article goes on to talk about the term fubbing. Have you guys heard of this? Okay, so it's when one or both partners are snubbing each other for being on their phone. On their phone. Shouldn't it be PH fubbing? Because it's phone, P-H-U-B-B-I-N-G? Yeah, it's fubbing. Oh, it is. I thought yeah. it was with an F. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so according to a study from China, fubbing leads to depression and dissatisfaction in the marriage. And then the article goes on to say that it's the breakdown in communication and spending less time being intimate due to phone usage and all that ultimately leads to divorce. Laura, has this come up for you at all? Yes. It's come up for me in my practice, but it's come up for me in my personal life too. Both my boyfriend and my children, I would venture to guess, feel that at times they're being fubbed. <laughs> <laughs> and so they have said to me, like, put the phone down. Have, constantly have battles with my older son who has a phone put the phone down he's like you put the phone down. i'm like i'm i'm making money to pay for that phone right now and he's like put it down i'll put mine down my boyfriend he's much bigger than i am just takes the phone away from me and no. says, we're done with the phone right now just take it away it, that is a contentious thing the phone and 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 as laura said it's funny because a lot of times i'll be on my phone my wife will say really you're on the phone and my reaction is actually the exact same reaction I'm like I'm with a client or it's a client and it could be like 11 o'clock on a Saturday night and that person on the other line may actually be a client but they're certainly not texting at 11 o'clock about about you know, work they're texting about going to see the movie glass like this actually happened last week so but my default answer is say it's a client and kind of roll my eyes and then my wife looks at it and it's like you're talking about pizza and glass so <laughs> Doesn't count. Doesn't really. So smartphone usage is actually admissible as evidence in divorce proceedings, right? Yes, we've had text messages. Now, again, keep in mind, um, almost every state in the U.S. right now is no fault. California definitely is. So having a text message as evidence of an extramarital affair or something is meaningless. It doesn't make a difference. But text messages that have contained threats, for example, I'm going to kick your ass or I'm going to kill you, used for a domestic violence proceeding can be very strong evidence that this person was actually threatening the physical safety of the other person and have in the past qualified for at least temporary restraining order. So those can be used as evidence. Certain things that talk about, well, I'm not going to be here. Calendars, you know, if the parent is looking for custody, but he or she has missed so much of his or her custodial time, you can use those. So there's there are things we use as evidence from smartphones. Um, and people do have to be very, very careful about what they're, they're putting on their phones. I've actually thought about what kind of what we're talking about right now is sitting the last couple of days looking at your app and playing around with it and me and my wife have a very kind of open phone policy where like she'll just pick mine up and she'll text her friend or she'll just flip around on it. And I was like, oh, oh shoot. shoot. <laughs> you going to pick it up and be like, it's over easy. Really? Is it that easy? <laughs> so it's like, I'm going to have to figure out how to explain just how it's not easy. Uh, yeah. Okay, Laura, you've been amazing. Thank you so, so much for joining us. We know how swamped, and you probably could have charged, uh, what, like $1,000 for the hour you were here? <laughs> Close to that, yeah, yeah but it was very enjoyable, so Plus it was worth time, it. Plus travel time, half-hour travel time. Plus, yeah. Park, parking, parking time. time. Yeah. Rain on her hair time, yeah. I know, she looks fabulous, though, she right? She does, yeah, amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here. Sure, thank, thank you, you for you having so me. What we're doing. 
Hey guys, if you're just tuning in, you're on with Charles Liu and Jenna Benemy on the future of. We just had Laura Wasser on discussing divorce law. She is badass, a force to be reckoned yeah. with. Um, total role model for me, actually, because I love seeing strong women succeed and you know also be pretty and charismatic and totally. just kind of the total package. Remind me of my mom. Really? Yeah, especially with the little boys and and just so articulate and, and goal oriented and. Cool. It was awesome. Actually, I got to say shout out to your mom because you made this comment the other day about how she was just the best and she managed you guys really well and y'all are still really tight and successful. Yeah, for sure. No, she was unbelievable. So we need to talk about the Super Bowl because I had a blast. Yeah, whatever. And I'm I'm showing off a little bit. Sorry. It was so much fun. So you did Vegas with your team Azunia, Pete. I did. And Joe, shout out to Joe, amazing host and got to meet Pat, the owner of the company. Very cool. Yes. Do you want to know what I did? Yes. Not that. No. (laughs) That much I know. What'd you do? Nothing. I sat on my sofa. I told you, I read. I'm I glad. thought you were going to watch and eat hummus with celery sticks. I did. I watched like pieces and parts of it, but um, nothing nothing to write home about or tell the listeners at all. All right. Well, at least you got a break because you never get that. I did. I got four hours where no one texts me. Or yeah. Me. <laughs> like no one would even return my text. So it was four hours of tranquility and, and beautiful peace. Well, there you go. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, okay, so I know we've made some progress with the Black Star guys. Yeah, Team Black Star crushing, um, getting ready to open up their studio in North Hollywood. And also some exciting news on the restaurant front, which we will get to, but we're not quite there yet. But lots of exciting stuff happening with uh, Pashu and team. So when you first told me about Pashu, I hadn't met him in person yet. And you were like, he's like the Jay-Z of Russia, right? Yeah. And then I met him and he is this very well-kempt guy yes. and um, with so much charm and personality. And I'm like, okay, like he's, he's super lovable. And it. yeah, no, I mean, I get it. I just, I was expecting like someone super tough and he's tough, but he's also very kind and sweet and personable. Yeah. Incredible entrepreneur, him and his wife, Hannah, beautiful lady. And they are, they're kind of the, the Jay-Z and Beyonce of Moscow and they've got their hands in everything and uh, entrepreneurial and does speaking engagements. And she's a, a worldwide successful uh, rock star singer. So there are mm. a lot of uh, parallels and yeah, exciting stuff. Do you remember um, the first time I looked at his Insta? Do you remember when I texted you saying how beautiful she was? And you're like, you're ridiculous. Like- <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I do. She's, she's beautiful. She and she's even so pretty. more pretty in person. In person, she's gorgeous. And yeah, they're like superpower her. couple. They're, they're like very, very cool. I love that. It was so great catching up with them at the... Um, the fundraiser we did at Stout for um, Michelle. Michelle Chambers, yeah. yeah, running for Council District 1 in City of Compton. Go, Michelle. So cool, right? So everybody that came to that was so pumped. Every single person texted me after, and they said that is truly the spirit of a civil servant, which was such a cool way to put yeah. it, right? I mean, this is someone that genuinely 27 years of being behind the scenes and now stepping onto the main stage for Council District 1 in Compton. Just so cool to see someone with that type of humility and that type of selflessness who's dedicated their whole life to their people and their community and their city and their state and now saying, let me get in front of everybody and let me lead also. So we're pumped and the event was dope. And her bro was there, Michael Williams, who... You probably recognize the name, but huge fan of from uh, two shows, The Wire and also uh, Boardwalk Empire. Yeah, all of our guests were like, wait, is that the guy from? And I'm like, yeah, Yeah, (laughs) he was so sweet. Yeah, such a nice guy and such a cool uh, relationship and interaction between him and his sister. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you saw so much love there and so much um, uh admiration and pride that he had for Michelle to, you know, get up. I saw that. Yeah. Even when you were up there sort of, you know, giving your speech, he was just super attentive and stood proud for her and really didn't take his eyes off of you guys. Which is so cool because obviously, you know, he's a very established actor, incredible actor. So he's probably always used to being center of stage. So, Mm -hmm. so cool to see, you know, such an easy transfer of the attention to his sister very well deserved obviously but so cool that the whole night was about her yeah totally um we're running out of time we have so many updates for you guys so we'll kind of roll them on to next week but i quickly wanted to just 
talk about our Forbes event coming up, Forbes LA Business Council. Um, They've been amazing to us. We have done a few events with them. We do them quarterly. Our next one is going to include a hospitality panel. We have U.S. Foods, Preferred Pacific Insurance, and- Our boy, uh, Ken Goodwin. Ken Goodwin. Shout out to Ken. Um, We have Azunia Tequila, um, Boomtown, and- uh, the Lou firm sponsoring and charity and, and, and charity from the Madeira group is going to be on the panel. I mean, She's it's amazing. just, it's going to be insane. I already know the room's going to be packed with talent. Um, if you guys want to get on the guest list, feel free to reach out to me via Instagram is probably easiest. Uh, the Jenna Ben. Yeah. I think i um, pumped about stout Kimpton in Palm Springs. Mm-hmm. So we're at the Kimpton Rowan, which just got nominated top 10 hotels in the country. Mm-hmm. So super pumped about that. And we'll let you know on opening there. And uh, yeah, thanks for the, again, appearance, Laura, Laura Wasser, Law. So good. So good. And uh, check her out at Divorce Sucks. That's her podcast over on Podcast One. I can't wait to listen to that. I so already good. know it's amazing. Yeah, she's so good. Yeah. And then also, uh, It's Over Easy, the app, app yeah. which you can download. I already downloaded and it's uh it's very easy and very straightforward. So you can certainly see where it would really redefine this process. Awesome. Love it. Had so much fun on this show. Cool. Thanks for tuning into the future of on Dash Talk X with Charles Liu and Jenna Benami on our Divorce Law episode with Laura Wasser. Don't forget to add us on social media and visit thelewfirm.com to learn about our legal and consulting services and click the radio tab to listen now. Thank you, Azunia Tequila, for sponsoring our show. You're the best. We love you. Thanks, fam. <laughs>